really, I, I could sit down now because the, all the testimonies have really said everything that's needed to be said. But uh, I guess that's, that's the practical. Now we're going to actually look at the theory of it all, if you like, from the Word of God. And if there's one thing that you want to take away from today, is that God did heal, God does heal, and God will heal. Those three things. Here we see in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 15, and uh, this is uh, after the uh, the Red Sea has been parted and they had the pillar of fire and a cloud and they seen the destruction of the entire Egyptian army there that was uh, pursuing them. They've seen all these amazing miracles and the demonstration of the power of God. Then after all of that, they go into the wilderness for three days and they can't find any water. And then they come across this place called Mara. In verse 23, And when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter, so they were poisonous to drink. Therefore the name of it was called Mara, which means bitterness. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So here, here they are. They've seen all the miracles of the power of God. They've come out of Egypt. They've separated from the Egyptian army. They've seen the power of God being clearly demonstrated. And now they start complaining. And this is so typical of human nature. And then we see here in 25. And he, Moses, cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. So it wasn't the people who prayed, it was Moses on behalf of the people who prayed for them. And this is a little bit like Jesus Christ intervening for us to God for our problem. Uh, Moses is a type of saviour, if you like, a type of Jesus Christ. Showed him a tree. Now the tree represents really Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. In the Garden of Eden, really, the type of Jesus Christ is there in the tree of life. So the Lord shows Moses not anything, uh, not sort of random thing, but a particular thing, and it was this particular tree, which when Moses had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet, the waters were healed for human consumption. We see when we face problems, the waters often are identified in the scriptures with the world or problems that we face, challenges that we face. When we cast the Lord into the problem, we see that there can be a wonderful transformation take place. And this is what Moses did, and the Lord showed Moses what to do. And it goes on. Uh, there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. He tested. The Lord was testing his people. And often when we go through a trial, Maybe the Lord's testing us, seeing what we're made out of. Are we going to rely on the Lord, or are we going to rely on ourselves? Are we going to give up? What are we going to do? 26. And he said, If you will diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. So there was a condition here. It wasn't just free for all, do whatever you want, and I'll still bless you. No. It was, if you walk in my ways, then you'll walk in my blessing. It was very particular. I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians. And then God makes this amazing and wonderful statement. I am the Lord that heals you. He already did the healing. He already healed the waters. And then he makes the declaration, well, I am the Lord that heals you. 
He already demonstrated it before he, he said it. A wonderful, wonderful example there for us. And we're looking about to 1300 BC, around about this time, uh, that God was in the healing business, if you like. Numbers 21. And here we see again Moses uh, in the Old Testament. We see again human nature. The the people uh, kept complaining. And what happened is a lot of people died because they were then bitten by these fiery serpents, these poisonous snakes, or these apps, whatever they were. They weren't very nice. And verse 7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sins. They were humble. They were confessing their faults, as it says in James. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. So it wasn't just about God. It was they complained really against God's servant, Moses. Pray unto the Lord that he may take away the servants from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And again, just like Jesus here, praying on behalf of the people, if you like, intervening on behalf of their behalf. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. Now this wasn't just to glance at the pole and think, okay, I'm going to live now. It was really to attentively pay attention and to consider the situation here. And verse 9, And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So it means to behold attentively. Now it's interesting that the medical logo, for like, is a serpent on a pole. And I believe well, this is where it comes from. Yes, you go on, you Google uh, medical logo, you get all kinds of different answers. But I believe this is really, this is God's where it really came from, from the Lord. Now, this is again a type of Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe it's like our sin, the snake being like sin, being crucified, being held up in a sense. Jesus became sin for us. In John, the Gospel of John, it says this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, which we've just read about, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just like the children of Israel beholding this serpent on this brass serpent on the pole, when they beheld it, believed in the promises of God, they lived, just like we with the Lord, exactly the same. God is here in the healing business, saving our lives. Isaiah 53. Very well known one here. But for those who are perhaps unfamiliar with these things, it doesn't hurt to go through these things. Or perhaps we need remindering if we do already know these things. There's no harm in that. This is now, we fast forward from 1300 BC approximately to approximately 700 BC here, around the time when Isaiah is writing these things. I don't know exactly when this was written. We don't have, I don't have any detail in my Bible. But it says here in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Yet we did him 
esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Yes, we do remember that Jesus died on the cross, that he was crucified and, and died an agonising death there, hung up, strung up for six hours there before he cut it. But before that, he was whipped. And his, the blood and the, the, uh, would have just been oozing out the, the fluid from his body as he's been ripped to shreds here with those cat of nine tails, the, the, the stones or the lead just sinking into his flesh and being ripped off his back. The Bible says, by his stripes he suffered. He paid the price for our healing. By his stripes, it says here, we are healed. Not you might be healed, but we are healed. So he paid the full price. There is no reason that we should be sick. I want to look at now, Matthew 8, at three different types of examples of Jesus' healing. So now we fast forward to the New Testament, And we're looking around 30 AD maybe, round about, it would take a couple of years. The end result of each of these are the same. The person was healed. But the situation, circumstances surrounding each one and in the manner in which they, the healing occurred are all different. And it goes to show there's not necessarily one prescribed way to obtain a healing. Faith needs to be in there. Humility needs to be in there. But here in verse 1, when Jesus was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. So we see humility. We see that the leper, who was considered unclean, he would have had to live outside of the village. He wasn't allowed to congregate with the other townspeople. Considered unclean in the old, from the Old Testament law. He worships Jesus. So he recognises Jesus for who he is. That he, the healing can come from this man. He was a leper worshipped him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He knew that Jesus had the answer here. Jesus put forth his hands and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. He didn't pray for half an hour, Jesus. He just said those simple words, Be thou clean. Jesus Christ had the power. And it says here, And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Today, we can be touched by the Lord. Leprosy is a type of sin for us, unclean, a state of being unclean. When Jesus Christ touches us today through the Holy Spirit, we are made immediately clean. Amen? So Jesus died for our sin as well as sickness. When Jesus says, I will be thou clean, it demonstrates his will. His will is to heal you. The promises of God are yea and amen. No doubt. Amen? Jesus says it. I will. Four, verse 4. Jesus says unto him, See that you tell no man, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. If you read Leviticus chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 32, you actually see 
what the children of Israel were instructed to do if they had leprosy. They had to uh, go to the priest and the priest had to uh, verify that they were healed and then they had to make a sacrifice. They had to get uh, two birds, I think it is, uh, kill one over running water and, um, and with the blood uh, they had to then dip uh, their finger in the blood and put it on the, the person who had the leprosy on their earlobe, on, on their right earlobe, on their right thumb, on, the, on their right big toe. And then they got some oil and they did, repeated the process with the oil. The, the priest had to hold the oil in his left hand and he dipped his finger seven times in the oil and then he, he anointed the, the person on the ear, on the thumb, on the toe and then with the remaining oil that was just in the, in the palm of his hand he then poured it on the head of that person. Um, this was on the eighth day, on the se- previous day, on the seventh day, he, he had to shave his beard, his eyebrows, he had to shave all of his hair off as well. And so this is, and the priest had to verify that he was clean. So all of this stuff, Jesus already healed him. He didn't make the man go through all of this stuff and then heal him. He just healed him and he said, okay, to fulfill the word of God now, I want you to do this. And I think this man would gladly have done that because this man was wonderfully and miraculously healed. Amen? So if you get healed, or if the Lord provides some sort of a benefit or a miracle or provision of some kind, and then he asks you to do something else, I think with gladness of heart we should do that, whatever it is. All right, verse 5, another story now. So this is, the uh, sorry, verse 1 to 4 is the person who is sick asking for the healing. Now we hear, we see a different story. Verse 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. So a Roman, a Gentile. The Jews considered them unclean. Just like the leper considered unclean. And saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. So now he's asking the Lord on behalf of someone else. We don't even know if the sick person has asked to be healed. We don't see that. But we see that this, this centurion cares for his servant. Maybe he's not getting the washing done like Ben. Who knows? But it's someone else asking on behalf of the sick person now, asking the Lord. Jesus says in verse 7, I will, just like he said to the leper, I will. He says, I will come and heal him. Now, I believe Jesus knew what was going to take place next. And this is deliberately why Jesus said, I will come, I'll come into your house and I will pray for him or I'll heal him. But again, just like the leper, we see humility. Just like we heard the testimonies in Vanuatu where people are humble, we see the power of God. The centurion answered in verse 8, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. He confesses his faith. And now he confesses why he believes this. For I am a man under authority. He's now submitting himself to the Lord's authority because he's saying, well, I'm a man under authority. When I say this, this happens. So I know that you are a man of authority and I know when you say this, this will happen. So he's humbling himself here. 
I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marvelled, and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Jump down to verse 13. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so be it done unto you. And his servant was healed in the same self-hour. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he was healed instantly, like the leper in the, in the first four verses here, but it says within the hour he was healed. So reasonably quickly. So we see this different example here. Now, the next example is different again, even though it has the same result of the healing. In verse 14, Jesus was come into Peter's house and he, Jesus, saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. So Jesus comes into the house. He sees the need. There is no one now asking for prayer, or recorded at least. There is no one requesting, I want to be healed. And 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her. She arose and ministered unto them. When Jesus comes into our house, we are the temple, and Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit comes into us, sometimes, well, we know he always sees the need, sometimes we just get a healing without even asking for it. Now, I've heard that many times. And sometimes we pray and pray and pray for a healing and it doesn't seem to come straight away. Well, this is the example where he comes into the house, he sees the need, and he just does it. He just heals this person. Amen? 16. And when evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. He cast the spirits out with his word, and he healed all that were sick. The Bible tells us that everyone who came to Jesus in the appropriate manner, with humility, with faith, for instance, worshipping the Lord, recognising that he was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He was the one who could heal their need. Jesus healed everyone who came to him in that manner. The only way that Jesus could not heal was where unbelief was there. Jesus had to cast out the unbelief in the room where the damsel had died, where the relatives were laughing him to scorn when they said, when Jesus said he's only, she's only asleep, they said he's dead. He puts out the unbelief to enable him to work the miracle. 17. All of these things happened that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet and we read it just previous to this one saying himself, he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Jesus fulfills the word of God. Jesus can fulfill fulfill the word of God in your life. Healing is part of God's word. We cannot stray away from that. If we believe in the word of God, we believe in healing. Luke chapter 7. Here we see that the healing itself is a wonderful 
event to take place. I've been healed personally, I've prayed for others and I've seen them miraculously healed. Uh, for those who don't know, I used to be a ballet dancer, I hurt my back. I got suffered a very excruciating uh, injury and I got to the point where I couldn't breathe without being in extreme pain. I'd injured the muscles along my spine and in between my ribs. And I had to lie very still on the floor with my arms down by my side and not move my neck at all, my, my head at all, to be without pain. Then to get up, say, to go to the loo, I had to crawl on my hands and knees and that was excruciating pain. I went to the specialist, diagnosed what I'd done. She said, take it easy. That night, my twin brother come, uh, came home, he laid hands on me. I was very new in the Lord. Lay hands on me, we prayed in English, we prayed in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. The next morning I woke up, I was totally healed. I knew I was healed. I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. It was so, the change was so dramatic, it was like unbelievable. I thought, this is amazing. I tried to find the pain, I tried to make the pain come back. I didn't believe, you know, almost didn't believe that it had happened. And I was totally healed. Just a, a quick testimony. Joan Stewart, most of us in Sydney remembers Joan Stewart. Uh, she received the Holy Spirit when she was 78 years of age and she walked on in the Lord for another 14 years. She, In the last six months of her life, she uh, went up to the Central Coast and it was there on about a day or two before she died, I went to visit her. She was uh, in a coma and I prayed all the way up there to the Central Coast. The GPS sent me on the wrong way, so it took longer than normal to get up there. It reminds me of yesterday, trying to find a wedding. And I, by the, when I got there, all the family were gathered around her, and they were just standing silently. And you could have heard a pin drop. They were just not saying anything. She's in a coma, she's thin, she's at death's door, so she's basically a skeleton with skin. And they all go out, and then I walk in with her daughter that is in the fellowship in the Central Coast. And it just reminded me of Peter, uh, of Jesus, when Peter and James and John maybe were with Jesus and they cast out the unbelief. They cast out all the people that didn't believe that what would happen. Now, I didn't ask them to leave. I was just waiting for them to pay their last respects and walk out and then we walk in. Now I've been praying for an hour and a half to get it. Uh, all the way in the car to get there. When I walk, when I walk in there, I actually didn't pray. After the other people left, I put my hand on her and I spoke three times. Joan, hello, this is Pastor Andrew. That's all I said. She woke up. She looked at me. You could see the cog start turning. And the familiar smile, hello, how are you? And I'm about to leap out of my skin. I go, Joan, Jared, this is amazing. Anyway, 10, 15 minutes later, the family walk in. They're like, oh. They didn't say a word. You could have heard a pin drop. Anyway, comes to say goodbye. We're laughing. When they walked in, we're laughing, we're talking. She's remembering my wife. She's remembering very particular details. Her mind was sharp. And then she goes, she, she's very, she was very weak, but she gets her hands and she goes, two thumbs back to me. Anyway, it allowed the whole family to say goodbye to her. They hadn't said goodbye, she just slipped into the coma. All of the family got to say goodbye, all of her daughters patched up 
a relationship that needed to be patched up before she died. And then she slipped back into the home. And then she died. And at the, the funeral, um, I was testifying about this about a week later, about what had happened. And I was sort of deciding, shall I mention this or shall I not? Because I was given 20 minutes originally, and then on the day they said, well, actually, the family only wants you to talk for 10 minutes. I was thinking, mate, how can you talk about someone's life that you've known for 14 years and 10 minutes, about you know, all the stuff about the Lord? And I thought, blow it. I'm going to say it anyway. So I did. And then I talked about the, how Joan was raised up on her deathbed. And then one of her granddaughters, who's not in the Lord, sat up in the, in the congregation of the funeral and said, yes, that's right. I saw it with my own eyes. It was amazing. Amen. You know, you had the confirmation of God's power. It's God who does these things. So here, Jesus is doing all this healing and the miracles. And John the Baptist's disciples go up to Jesus saying, are you the one that we're looking for? So the healing itself is great, but the healing actually points to a greater purpose. And we can't neglect this. When we pray, we don't pray to Muhammad. We don't pray to Buddha or Mary, we pray to Jesus Christ, or to God in the name of Jesus Christ. And it says here, Are you the one that we look for? 21, verse 21. In the same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered, said unto them, Go your way, tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. The signs following points to Jesus Christ. It gives glory back to God that this is the way. And like when Jesus Christ comes into us, it says here how the blind see. Our eyes now see the truth. The lame walk, we're no longer shackled to the sin, to the, the things that bind us anymore. We're set free. The lepers are cleansed. We're no longer filthy in our sin. We are cleansed. The deaf hear, our, our ears are unstopped, as the Bible says, that we can hear and understand the word of God now. The dead are raised. We're no longer dead in our sin. To the poor, the gospel is, is preached. We are rich now in God's mercy and God's love. Amen? We're richer than a millionaire. So all these things the Lord does for us as well. In John 20, we won't go there, it says, in verse 30 to 31, many other signs did, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. It points back to Jesus Christ. No other person. James chapter 5, second to last one. Here. So we've gone 1300 BC, 700 BC, the times of Jesus Christ. Now we fast forward a few more years into the New Testament church 
My Bible tells me this is written around about 60 AD, so around about 30 or so years after Jesus left the scene, so to speak. And this is a letter to the church, so this is now for you and I as well. In verse 14, chapter 5 of James. Is any sick among you? The question is asked, is any sick? And the answer would normally be, yes, there is always someone getting sick, it's just the natural cycle of things. Then it says, let him call for the elders of the church. So the onus here, in this part, is for the person who is sick, the person who has the need for them to step out in faith, for them to call for the elders of the church, for them, that person, to ask for prayer. And this is one reason why I like the elders, when we come to our prayer line in a bit, to stand at the front, that you make those, that step of faith. Now, it's not the people at the front that heal you, and we know that, but by faith you get out of the boat, like Peter did, get out of your chair, get off your backside, walk to the front, is, is a step of faith, or it might be ten steps of faith. And it's asking, believing, you shall receive. So it says here, let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Just like the priest with the leper, with the oil in the hand, so to speak, seven times dipping your finger, anointing on the earlobe, the thumb and, and, and the big toe, and then pouring the rest on your head. Now, so to speak, I don't know if we've got any oil. Yes, we do have oil here today. Thank you, Stephen Kate. We have oil here, if that's what you require. But oil is also signifies the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is here today. You can be healed, anointing with the oil of the Holy Spirit. But all in the name of the Lord, whether it's the physical oil or not. 15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The prayer of faith. Like the examples in Matthew 8 that we referred to, Maybe you come up today, you're praying for someone else. Just like the centurion came to Jesus, he was asking on behalf of someone else. Like the four men carrying that lame person through the roof into where Jesus was in the house. They did it on behalf of someone else. Maybe you know someone else who needs a healing. Maybe you've spoken to someone else and said, we will pray, I believe in the God who heals. Or maybe you can pray about someone today and tell them, I prayed for you yesterday. My younger brother, when he was working for the tax office in Adelaide, his boss had a a massive toothache. And my brother said, I'm going to pray for you. And not only did he say, I'm going to pray for you, he said, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to tell you when you are healed. Because this guy was a bit of an atheist. He said, okay. So David went, my brother, went home and he prayed for his boss. And then the next morning he came into work and all he said was, eight o'clock. And the guy was God's man. He was healed at that time and it was to demonstrate that God is true and God heals. Amen? So remember, eight o'clock, Okay. It says here, prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. The prayer of faith. If he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Jesus died the one death for sin and the sickness. Complete package. As we heard Tom, apparently, is Charlene's complete package. We heard that at the wedding yesterday. 
Well, Jesus Christ is the complete package. He died for everything that you need. Amen? Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Pray for each other. It's not just in the prayer line, it's at home. Pray for your kids. Pray for your parents. Pray for your spouse. Pray for each other here. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Job, when he prayed for his friends, the Lord turned his captivity around. He prayed for someone else. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about someone else. Sometimes that's what we need to do. If we need a healing, pray for someone else. Think about someone else, how the Lord died for them. Amen? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Last scripture, Revelation 22. Believe God's word. Live God's word. Do it. So God did heal. God does heal. And now we see the example of God will heal. So if there are things in your life that you have been praying about, you're, and maybe you've been waiting for a while, nothing seems to be happening in your life or someone else, will know that healing will come. Now here, this is a prophecy here in Revelation 22. It's talking about the future. And it says here in um, verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, pure, coming from God. Jesus said, I pray the Father that he may send the Comforter in my name. Same thing here. Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street or the place of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. Remembering that the tree of life also is represents Jesus Christ. Which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. So possibly it was a different fruit each month or maybe it always had different fruit on it. Who knows? But 12 fruits continually renewing like the Holy Spirit. We are renewed day by day. God's promises, his mercy is new every morning. Amen? And it says, Yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I think it's Isaiah, it talks about how God shall make them beat their swords into plowshares. There will be a time when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth and there will be a healing, state of healing, of restoration in the earth. The nations, the pollution, green peace, it might be good for now, but green peace can't do everything. Or the greenies can't do everything. But Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he will come, he will set up his, talking about an election, the elect shall come. You know, the saints of God ruling and reigning. And hopefully that's all of us. And if it's not you, you can be you. You've just got to get baptised and receive the Holy Spirit. But it says here also, so the end of verse 2, healing for the nations. Future, God will heal. So sometimes in life, there are certain things that we don't achieve. Maybe we don't obtain the healing, but we live in faith, we die in faith, that God has all things in hand, all things work together for good. And it says in verse 3, just to wrap up, 
there shall be no more curse. Curse is sickness is part of the curse. Sin is part of the curse. There will come a time where there is no sickness, there is no sin. And that's the day that we look forward to. Amen. So just reiterating, God did heal, God does heal, and God shall heal you. Amen.